Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shimpock. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you. In this episode, we'll be exploring the Kaliak, the Celtic goddess of winter. She's found in both mythology and folk tales in Ireland and Scotland. She sometimes appears as the sovereignty goddess. I'll read the Irish myth, The Adventures of the Sun, of Eochide Macmedon, which addresses issues of gender, power, land, and kingship. Further, we'll reflect on our cultural taboos around aging women and how they continue to impact us today. A great while ago, when the world was full of wonders. I have memories of past winters, looking out over a lake just as the sun had set. Bare branch trees and loneliness embrace that liminal time when the veil is thin. The earth cries out for sleep and rest, but the world pays no attention. Life continues without change. The holidays stirring things up rather than slowing them down. Few have time to look out the window at all. But our agrarian ancestors had a more balanced life. They worked hard from spring until autumn harvest, then life slowed in winter. In the Celtic world, the new year begins at Samhain, which is October 31st. Winter hasn't yet begun, but the world is slowing down. Animals and plants prepare for hibernation. For humans, this provided time for dreams and rest. Families were together, eating by candlelight food preserved at an earlier time. Long nights, people huddled by firelight. Elders told stories, and plans were made. In that time and place, folks had plenty of time for review. What is no longer needed? Who no longer serves you? What needs to be done in the coming year? In the storm's fury, with gale winds howling, the winter goddess of Ireland and Scotland reigns supreme. She is the Kaliak, the crone, the hag, an old woman with a blue-gray face. Her name means old wife or veiled one. Her work is veiled and mysterious. She has keen eyesight and inordinate strength. It is she who formed the coastline and mountains with the rocks that she hurled from her apron. Yet there is no evidence that she harms humans, only that she determines their worth. The Kaliak is an essential part of the cycle of life. She comes in the barrenness of winter, when what remains from the harvest decays in the ground. She protects the seedlings with the warmth of her snow. Without the Kaliak, the life that hibernates would not be nurtured or protected through the long winter night. 
The Kaliak calls to us. She leads us indoors to reflect on what was and on what will be. She clears away all that is finished, for nothing unworthy escapes her challenge. Her cave is a refuge from the harshest reality, so that only the brave will enter. Its darkness is the catalyst for change, a challenge to follow the rhythm of the seasons. Those who enter will be rewarded with nourishment and wisdom. It's a time for healing, integration, and surrender, rather than for action and resistance. Enter her cave and sit by her fire. Let the madness and busyness of the world go by for a while. Discover what has import in this moment of life and what has meaning. Stop filling time with what is meaningless, busyness, the shoulds and the oughts. Finding balance only occurs when we take the time to nourish ourselves and seek restoration. She assures us that the death of winter will be followed by the rebirth of spring. Geroid Okrule, in the Book of the Kaliak, identifies her two images as found in folklore and myth. The first is the figure of a female sovereignty goddess. She is the one who is personified with the land and grants sovereignty upon the chosen king by kissing, marrying, or having sex with him. Once done, she is unveiled as the beautiful young woman, and he becomes the rightful king. Of these stories, The Adventures of the Sun of Eokide McMedden is the focus of this podcast. The second image found in these stories is of an old woman with magical or otherworldly connections. Those stories will be saved for a later date. But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time, but in the wise crone's time. The story I will read you is from the Irish mythological cycle of the kings. It is based on a version found at the Celtic Literature Collective and John T. Koch's translation within the book, The Celtic Heroic Age, Literary Sources for Ancient Celtic Europe and Early Ireland and Wales. I have modified the story a bit to make it more understandable. I apologize in advance for any mispronunciations of early Irish names. With all that said, let's begin. The Adventures of the Sons of Eokide McMedden There was a wondrous and noble king over Aaron, namely Eokide McMedden. I'm sure you remember that Aaron is an old word for Ireland, and the story takes place there. Five sons McMedden had, Brian, Alil, Fiacra, Fergus, and Niall. The mother of Brian, Fiacra, Fergus, and Alil was Queen Monkfin, daughter of Fittich. But the mother of Niall was Karen, the curly black daughter of Sashel Balb, king of the Saxons. Niall was hated by Queen Monfin, for he was the product of her husband's infidelity. 
When she discovered the affair, the queen treated her badly. She demanded that Karen draw and carry all the water needed every day, while the other handmaidens watched. This continued throughout her pregnancy, for the queen hoped in doing so that the babe might die in her womb. Even as the time for Karen's delivery arrived, she was still in service to the queen. On the green ground of Tara, the seat of Ireland's kingship, right beside the pail that she had dropped, she gave birth to a baby boy. But she dared not pick the baby up, so she left him there on the ground exposed to the birds. And not one of the men of Aaron dared carry him away either because they were all afraid of Mongfin, who had great magical power. Then Torna the Feely, a poet and storyteller of great renown, on his walk across the green, found the baby left all alone with birds attacking it. When Torna picked up the boy and held him in his arms, he received a prophecy. And this is what Torna said. Welcome, little guest. He will be Nile of the Nine Hostages. In his time he will redden a multitude. Plains will be greatened. Hostages will be overthrown. Battles will be fought. Longside of Tarn, host leader of Mag Femin, custodian of Mon and Mag, revered one of Almain, veteran of Liffy, white knee of Cuddle. Seven and twenty years will he rule Aaron, and Aaron will be inherited from him forever. And good was the beginning and the end of his life, until he died in the afternoon on a Saturday by the Sea of White, slain by Eokide, son of Enna Senselake. That's quite a prophecy for a little boy to live up to, for he who had no legitimate claim to the throne was destined to become the ruler of Aaron. Torna took the boy with him and fostered him, and neither returned to Terra until the boy was fit to be king. Then Torna and Nile came to Terra. It was then that Karen, Nile's mother, who was bringing water to Terra, chanced to meet them. Nile said to her, Put your work down. I dare not, she answered because of the queen. My mother, said he, shall not be serving anyone, for I am the son of the king of Aaron. Then he took her with him to Terra, and clad her in purple raiment. Queen Mongfin was enraged, but this was the will of the men of Aaron, that Niall should be king after his father, and not her son's. Mongfin said to Eokide, Look at your sons and judge which one is worthy to receive your crown. I will not pass judgment, he replied, but Sithkin the wizard will do so. Then they sent for Sithkin. He was the smith who dwelt in Terra, and a wise man, and a wondrous prophet. Sithkin put each son to the test. 
the smith set fire to his forage, in which the four sons were placed. Nile came out carrying the anvil and its block. Nile vanquishes, said the wizard, and he will be a solid anvil forever. Brian came next, carrying the sledgehammers. Brian to be your fighter, said the wizard. Then came Fiacra, bringing a pail of beer and the bellows. Your beauty and your science with Fiacra, said the wizard. Then came Alil with the chest in which were the weapons. Alil to avenge you, said the wizard. Last came Fergus with the bundle of withered wood and a bar of you therein. <sighs> Fergus the withered, said the wizard. That was true, for the seed of Fergus was no good, excepting one Kirek Dergan of Clunburn, and hence came the saying, a stick of yew and a bundle of firewood. I'm sure you remember. To bear witness to all that occurred, the storyteller Shanaki sang, Eokite's five son, Niall the Great Anvil, Brian the Sledge Hammer for true striking, Alil the Chest of Spears against a tribe, Fiacra the Blast, Fergus the Withered, Fiacra has a drink of ale, Alil has the warlike spears, Brian has the entrance to battle. But Niall has the prize. But Niall has the prize. Sithkin deemed Niall the next in line to the throne. Now this, of course, was grievous to Queen Mongfin, and she said to her sons, Pretend to quarrel so that Niall may come to separate you. Then you can all kill him. Then they quarreled. I need to separate them, said Niall. No, said Torna. Let the sons of Mongfin be peaceful. And so it was. Queen Mongfin said that she would not abide by Sithkin's judgment. So she sent her sons back to Sithkin to ask him for arms. They went to the smith and he made arms for them. The weapon that was the finest he put into Niall's hands. And the rest of the arms he gave to the other sons. Now go to hunt and try your arms, said the smith. So the sons went and hunted, and it happened that they went far astray. After a while they were tired. They stopped and started a fire, boiled some of their quarry, and ate until they were full. Eating left them thirsty. Let one of us go and search for water, they said. I will go, said Fergus. The lad went seeking water till he found a well and saw an old woman guarding it. This was the Kaliak, the hag. Every joint and limb of her, from the top of her head to the earth, was as black as cold, like the tail of a wild horse, was the gray, bristly mane that came through the upper part of her head crown. The green branch of an oak tree would be seathered by the green teeth that lay in her head and reached all the way to her ears. Dark, smoky eyes she had, a nose crooked and wide-nostrilled. She had a skinny belly, speckled with lesions and diseased. Her shins were crooked and twisted. 
Her ankles were thick. Her shoulder blades were broad. Her knees were big, and her nails were green. Loathsome was the hag's appearance. Well, then, said the youth. Well, then, indeed, said she. Are you guarding the well? asked the youth. Yes, I am, she answered. Will you permit me to take away some of the water? said the youth. I will allow it, she answered, if you will first kiss me on my cheek. No, said he. Then you can take none of the water, she replied. I give my word, he answered, that I would rather perish of thirst than give you a kiss. The lad then went back to the place where his brothers were resting and told them that he had not found water. So Alil went to look for water and came upon the same well. He too refused to kiss the hag and returned without water. He did not disclose that he had found the well. Then Brian, the eldest of the sons, went to seek water, chanced on the same well, refused to kiss the old woman, and returned waterless. Fiacra then went, found the well in the hag, and asked her for water. I will grant it, said she, but first give me a kiss. I would give few kisses for it. Then you will visit Tara, said she. That was true, for two kings of his lineage acquired the kingship of Aaron, namely Dothi and Alil Weather. No one from the line of the other sons, Brian, Alil, or Fergus, took it. So Fiacra returned without water. Then Niall went searching for water and happened on the same well. Please give me water, O woman, said Niall. I will give it, she answered, but first give me a kiss. Besides giving thee a kiss, I will lie with thee. Then he threw himself down upon her and gave her a kiss. But then, when he looked at her, he couldn't believe it, for there was not in the world a damsel whose figure or appearance was more lovable than hers. Every bit of her, from her head to her soul, was as beautiful as the snow in trenches. Plump and queenly forearms she had, fingers long and slender, calves straight and beautifully colored. Two blunt shoes of white bronze were between her little soft white feet and the ground. A costly full purple mantle she wore with a brooch of bright silver on her cloak. Shining pearly teeth, an eye large and queenly, and lips red as rowan berries. That is some transformation, dear lady, said the youth. True, said she. Who are you, said the youth. I am the sovereignty of Aaron, she answered, and then she said, O king of Tara, I am the sovereignty. I will tell you it's great goodness. Niall understood she was the sovereignty goddess who personifies the land, the one whose embrace confers sovereignty upon a king. Go now to your brothers, she said, 
and take water with you. The kingship and its domination will forever abide with you and your children, except for two from the line of Fiacra, namely Dothi and Alil, Weather, and one king out of Munster, namely Brian Boru. All of these will be kings without opposition. And as you have seen me at my most loathsome, beef-steel, horrible at first and beautiful at last, so is the same for sovereignty. For seldom is it gained without battles and conflicts, but at last it is beautiful and goodly. Accordingly, do not give water to your brothers until they have acknowledged your seniority over them. You must be able to raise your weapon a hand's breadth above their weapons. That I will do, said the youth. Then he bade her farewell and took water to his brothers, but he did not give it to them until they had granted to him every gift that he asked of them as the damsel had taught him. He also bound them by oaths never to oppose himself or his children. And then they went to Tara. They raised their weapons and Niall raised his, the breath of a hero's hand above them. They sat down in their seats with Niall among them in the midst. Then the king asked tidings of them. Niall told the story of their adventure and how they went seeking water and how they chanced upon the well and came to the woman and what she had prophesied to them. Why doesn't the eldest son, Brian, tell this tale, said Queen Monkfin? They answered, We granted our seniority and our kingship to Nile for the first time in exchange for the water. You have granted it permanently, said Sithkin, for henceforward he and his children will always have domination and kingship of Aaron. Now that was true, for from Nile onward, no one, except with opposition, took the kingship of Aaron, save one of his children or descendants, until the strong striker of Ushnak, Melech Lanson of Domnal. For it was taken by six and twenty of the O'Neills of the north, or the south, that is, ten kings of the kindred of Connell, and sixteen of the kindred of Owen, as said the poet. I know the number that took Aaron after Nile of the lofty valor. From Prince Logair's reign, if it be a fault, to the strong striker of Ushnak. Logair and his sons I will not conceal. Dearman and the mighty Tuathal, nine of the sound Awad Slanya, and seven of the clans of Colman. Sixteen kings of lofty Owen, ten of cruel savage Connell. Nile got with speedy course the kingship always for his lineage. You may be wondering how I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is... In this myth, we see the Kaliak as a hideous old hag who transforms into a beautiful young woman. The Adventures of the Son of Eokhaid Magmedan was first recorded in an 11th century Irish manuscript. It is the origin legend for Ireland's most powerful medieval dynasty. 
Amy C. Eichhorn Mulligan's article, The Anatomy of Power and the Miracle of Kingship, The Female Body of Sovereignty in a Medieval Irish Kingship Tale, addresses many of the issues found in this story. She describes it as one which intertwines sex, power, and gender. For it is the Kaliak who can both give and take away a king's power. Yet again, we see the reoccurring motif of the wise crone as both the helper and the one who determines the worth of others. The author writes that the narrative endows a female figure with significant political power. She also serves as a teacher and leads her pupil, the king-to-be, through an exercise in interpretation that will help him to understand the kingship with which she rewards him. However, the story reflects a political power that was not available to medieval Irish women. The elephant in the room remains the colleague herself. She is part of the loathsome lady motif, an old woman who is so aged, diseased, and hideous in appearance that she is treated like a leper. No one wants to be in her presence. To see her as a sexualized object is disgusting, reprehensible, and culturally taboo. This is the reaction to her request for a kiss by the older brothers. But in these heroes' journey tales, the youngest is most often the one who is least impacted by cultural mores. He is the one who sees beyond the Kalyak's physical appearance to someone who can help. When she asks for a kiss, he offers her more. Eichhorn Mulligan states that their sexual union symbolizes a harmonious bond between the ruler and the land he will oversee, a marriage between king and the kingdom. The Kaliak personifies the land and the sovereignty of the king's rule of this place. She becomes a beautiful woman. Still, the EU factor remains. An elderly man with a younger woman is accepted in American society with an attaboy kind of humor. She might be considered a gold digger, but an exchange of sex for money is one easily understood. However, an elderly woman with a young man is taboo much in the same way as incest. Middle-aged women with younger men are thought of as either pedophiles, think of high school teachers who later marry their male students, or cougars, think Mrs. Robinson. So there is something both familiar and disturbing in the imagery of the myth that continues to this day. I've pondered this repulsion against aging women and its consequences for some time. As I was reflecting on this story, a cult film came to mind, Harold and Maud. Harold is a young man with an obsession about death. He meets an octogenarian at a funeral, Maud. Over time, they develop a romance. There is something disturbing about this situation. But similar to our myth, Maud offers Harold the unexpected, that is, the sovereignty to live authentically. Going back to Icorn Mulligan's article, we might see Maud's character as endowed as a female figure with significant power 
also serving as a teacher who leads her pupil, Harold, through an exercise in interpretation that will help him understand the life with which she rewards him. Perhaps I'm stretching things a bit here, but I invite you to watch the film and address the repulsiveness of the old woman and the young man together for yourself. Older Celtic stories also depict the Collier growing younger as the winter progresses. By the time of Imbolc, February 2nd, she transforms into the youthful goddess Breed, who later became St. Bridget in the Christian world. Marie Ed Weaving writes, On the eve of Breed, the Colliot journeys to the magical isle in whose woods lies the miraculous well of youth. At the first glimmer of dawn, she drinks the water that bubbles in a crevice of a rock and is transformed into Breed, the fair maid whose white wand turns the bare earth again. It is the story of birth, death, and rebirth. The Kaliak is a crone whose strength takes her to death and back unafraid. She creates the world, travels through storms, and does it again and again. In honor of my 70th birthday this year, I had a croning ceremony. It was held on Samhain, the time of the Kaliak. The word crone derives from the Latin word for crown. She who is crowned or croned is the wise old woman. Croning, however, is not a mark of achievement. It is instead an aspiration and an acknowledgement. It is not bestowed upon a woman. The title is instead claimed by a woman. It is granted when she seeks it. Crowning the crone is a rite of passage in which a woman sets her intention to live her life fully as her authentic self. She moves from the invisibility of the old woman to a guiding, protecting, and serving presence for future generations. The crone is wise and generative in nature. In folktales and mythology, she is the one who determines the worth of the young. This is depicted in the Kaliak story of the sovereignty goddess. Only the young man who can see beyond her hideous outer appearance is worthy to be king. She helps those who can see who she truly is, and who are kind and pure of heart. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that the Kaliak is only one expression of the wise crone archetype. The crone is not invisible. She is not passive. Sometimes ferocious and sometimes frightening, she punishes those who seek to lie, trick, or take advantage of others. In Ireland and Scotland, she is the Kaliak, the hag goddess who comes in the darkness of winter. It was she who was invoked during my croning ceremony, and it was she who I honor in this poem. Dear Kaliak, the crone, the hag of winter, the veiled one, the goddess of the highlands, queen of air and darkness, at this time of Samhain, this time of winter, You stand on the threshold between death and rebirth, darkness and light, the known and the unknown. You who created the world from dirt and stones, builder of mountains and sacred chairs, show us the way through our fears, our grief, our sadness. May we pass the test to face our shadow, 
to look into your face and kiss your visage. Teach us the ways of darkness, of silence, isolation, and letting go. Show us how to die to the self that no longer serves us and is no longer useful. Accept and surrender to what is. Open the mysteries, dear one, of the other world. Show us how to walk with the wolf and fly with the owl. Help us to revel in the moonlight. Cover us with your cloak. Keep us safe. Grant us wisdom and strength as we age. Free us for our day of rebirth as the wise crone and the sure return of the goddess of spring. The wise crone knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, Remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life. This is the storyteller Kathy Shimpak. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. Music is The Snow Queen by Kevin McLeod at Incompetet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the Brother Grimm are in the public domain. Music